Hello and welcome back to the Seacoast Community Church Podcast. We are on week four, and this is the last episode for the month of October as we work through Deeper, a book by Dane Ortland. Today, as we continue to think about how to grow or deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're, we're wanting to move away from the shallow end of the pool and go into the deeper end of the pool. In the shallow pool, it's much harder to to actually uh, to get fully wet. It, it's hard to soak yourselves in the water if you are on the shallow end of the pool. You have a much easier time if you go to the deeper end of the pool. And this is what we essentially want. We want to be drenched. We want to, we want to soak in our relationship. That doesn't make quite sense. We want to, uh, as we go deeper into the pool of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to be drenched in it. We want to soak in it. We want it to cover us from head to toe. We want to be submerged into it. So how do we do that? We've talked about several different ways all under the umbrella umbrella imperative of meditate. We've talked about meditating on several different things. Essentially, we're meditating on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is essentially a, a, a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and using the gospel as a way to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ that, Lord willing, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, will grow in con- greater conformity into the image of Jesus Christ. Right. We want to be able to say like Lucy did when she talked with Aslan that you seem bigger. Aslan, you seem bigger. And he says, no, I haven't changed, but you have grown older. Right. We want to be able to say that as well, that each year we want to be able to come to the Lord and, and, and notice, Lord, you, you seem to have, grown, to have grown bigger. To which you respond, no, I haven't grown. I've been the same. It's you who has been growing. Today, we are... So I guess transitioning away from meditating on several aspects of the gospel, we're moving more into a different into a different I guess uh, way to apply this book, and this should come as no shock to you, right? How would you encourage another believer who is desirous of deepening his relationship with Christ? One way you might suggest is reading your Bible and praying. In fact, that's actually a really good question to ask yourself or to ask another person who might be desirous of this. You know, how are, are you reading the Word? Are you praying? Or how often are you reading the Word and praying? I know that this is obvious. This is so simple, right? You don't have to uh, buy a book to to know that answer, but it is a profound answer. And it is a very insightful question. Are you reading God's word? Are you praying to the Lord? He says in his book that prayer, uh, reading the word is a form of inhaling and prayer is a form of exhaling. When we read the word, we are inhaling the word of God. And when we pray, we are exhaling now something to consider as you read the word i love how he he lists nine common ways of reading the bible but are wrong ways 
to read the Bible. So again, nine common but wrong ways to read the Bible. Ask And so ask yourself if, if this is how you normally read the Bible. Number one, the warm fuzzies approach. This is reading the Bible for a glowing subjective experience of God, ignited by the words of the text, whether we understand what they actually mean or not. And the result is a sort of a frothy reading. There's the grumpy approach, reading the Bible out of nothing but a vague sense of that we're supposed to do it as this results in resentful reading. Number three is the gold mine approach, reading the Bible as a vast, cavernous, dark mine in which one occasionally stumbles upon a nugget of inspiration, and the result is a confused reading of the word. Number four, the hero approach, reading the Bible as a moral hall of fame that gives us one example after another of heroic spiritual giants to emulate. The result is despairing reading because you see all these great heroes and what they accomplish and what they do and you realize well i don't compare <laughs> number five the rules approach reading the bible on the lookout for commands to obey the result is pharisaical reading number six the indiana jones approach reading the bible as an ancient document about events that happened a few thousand years ago but irrelevant to my life today this is a res resulting in a bored reading of the scriptures Number seven, the magic eight ball approach, which is reading the Bible as a roadmap to tell me where to work, who to marry, what car to buy. This results in anxious reading. Number eight is the Aesop's fables approach, reading the Bible as a loose collection of nice stories strung together independently, each with a nice moral at the end. Result, a disconnected reading. So you have all these nice stories in the Bible, but they're not having to do anything with one another. Number nine, the doctrine approach. Reading the Bible as a theological repository to plunder for ammunition for our next theology debate at Starbucks. Result, a cold reading approach. So what kind of approach does he advocate for? Now he says that there's nothing inherently wrong with either of these approach, but it's our tendency to focus on one because the Bible, right, is a doctrinal book. Yes, there are stories with a moral lesson. There are certainly gold nuggets that we can glean from the scriptures. Those are all there. But how does he advocate? What 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 is the right way to read the Bible? And he says that it is that the right way to read the Bible is the gospel approach. This means, he, re he writes, we read every passage as somehow contributing to the single overarching storyline of Scripture, which culminates in Jesus Christ. Now, I will say that I, I agree with this. We need to think of Christ in mind. We, think, we need to think of the gospel as we read the stories of Scripture, as we read any passage of Scripture. But let us also consider the context of the passage as well. Let us consider the audience original audience of of whatever it is that we're reading in the Bible. So those are important as well. So let us not just read a passage of scripture and make a beeline to the gospel, but let us also but we enhance our gospel understanding of the passage when we also consider what is actually going on in the passage. So we must read the Bible and a gospel-centered approach. And we must also pray. We must pray to the Lord. Pray, ask, 
confess. And if you need help in praying, go to the Bible's prayer book, which is the Psalms. Go to the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. The Psalms give words to a lot of our experiences and emotions that we feel. So the Psalms is a wonderful place to go to when you want to exhale, when you want to pray to the Lord. So with the remaining time that I have left, let me just conclude with some final thoughts. I, uh, I think I enjoyed the book. If you have read Gentle and Lowly, which is also by the same author, honestly, I I, th- I, I think they're both very, very similar, uh, strikingly similar. I, I, yeah, I when I as I read deeper, having read Gentle and Lowly, I almost sometimes I felt like I was reading the same book. To be honest, so that is kind of a critique. I don't really see. I feel like. Gentle and Lonely and Deeper could have been one book, quite honestly. Uh, So I got a sense of I'm not really reading anything all that different here. He emphasizes a lot of the same things in Gentle and Lonely. So if you've never read Gentle and Lonely, but are interested in reading Deeper, you can probably just read Deeper and not read Gentle and Lowly because, again, a lot of the same things that are in Gentle and Lowly are in this book. I think that, I think, I thought the, probably the, the most helpful chapters was probably the first chapter when talking or thinking about Jesus Christ. Uh, And for me personally, I have a tendency to focus on the imperatives and not so much on the indicative. So I have a tendency to be imbalanced and it's something I have to constantly work on. But the indicatives, what the Bible says is it is important, just as important as the commands of Scripture. right? It is the, it is the indicatives that, that you are saved, that you have been redeemed. And it's truths like that that intend to stir the affections to then move you in the right direction. And that is where the imperatives come in. That is where the commands come in. This book is mostly about gospel indicatives and it is about imperatives. And that's not a critique. That's not a bad thing. I think it is helpful. But I think the most helpful chapter was the chapter on Jesus Christ. I will also say that the book has a lot, a lot of quotes. In fact, I think it has too many quotes. And I'm not complaining about the length of the book. I think it's a pretty decent length. Uh, But I think the book could have actually been shorter without so many quotes. Uh, From Puritans to, uh, to Martin Luther to John Calvin, to Jonathan Edwards. I mean, it's, it's, it's got so many, so many quotes. Again, it's not a bad, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm torn. I guess it is kind of a, a critique because I felt like at times I'm reading more of the people who wrote on the topic of the chapter than hearing from the author himself. <laughs> so, uh, for whatever it's worth, you know, the other thing I will say about the book is, again, I want to be careful about this because of what I just said earlier and what, and what my tendency is. 
but I felt as though the book is a bit imbalanced. And I think it tends to focus more on how God makes much of man and less about how God makes much of himself. So it to me, it just seemed that this book is too focused on making me feel better about myself. <laughs> uh, and... <clears throat> And just focused on, you know, and, and, right, and I want to grow deeper in my relationship with Christ. I want to pursue more of the Lord. I want to continue to change and grow in conformity to Christ. And if you're listening to this, hopefully that is your case as well. But I, I, I don't think it's helpful to only focus on what the gospel does for me because the gospel isn't just about me. The gospel is also very much about God. It is about God first, and then it is about man. And God making much of himself is how God also makes much of man. And the gospel does make much of man. It makes much of sinners. It turns them from being dead and resurrects them. It baptizes them into the life of Jesus Christ. It results in union with Christ. It results in forgiveness of sins. It results in reconciliation. It results in eternal life. Right, And so in that way, the gospel does make much of us. But the reason why the gospel makes much of us is because God first makes much of himself. The gospel is first and foremost concerning the glory of God. And in God glorifying in God, the way in which man is saved is by God first glorifying himself. God upholding to his own justice, upholding to his own righteousness. God showing himself to be most desirable, most treasurable, most valuable, God showing himself to be an, an infinite being worthy of our praise by God making much of himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ and saving sinners. And I, th I don't think the author did a good job of emphasizing that aspect of the gospel because to me, that... I think that more than anything else is what can help us to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not focusing so much on me, but focusing much more on Christ. So I don't know if that makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully you understand what I'm saying. But I think the book was imbalanced in its view of the gospel, where it focused much more on making much of man. And I would say to the neglect of making much more about God and Christ. So, <clears throat> overall, I mean, I, I don't, th I wouldn't say I am disappointed in the. Uh, I guess, I guess, I am a bit disappointed in the book. The other thing I will also add is that while we are thinking about how to deepen our relationship with Christ. I would have appreciated a chapter on our walking in righteousness. Now, he does talk about mortifying sin. That's probably like, he, he devotes probably like a half a chapter in his book on that topic. But if you want to grow into conformity with Jesus Christ and deepen our relationship with Christ, sin impedes that process. Sin impedes that aim.
And so we want to meditate, we want to reflect, we want to think about the gospel of Christ, we want to think about the glory of Christ. But I think it is also helpful to have, would have been helpful to have a chapter on fighting sin and how fighting sin, mortifying sin is incredibly important in our pursuit of Christ. So anyways, I am way past my time here. I hope you find that helpful. Our next book will be Contending for Our All, a book by John Piper. This is coming from his The Swans Are Not Silent series where he, in one book, he talks about the, about three, about three individuals in, in church history, the lives of, of about three individuals. And this one is, uh, the subtitle of this book is Defending Truth and Treasuring Christ in the Lives of Athanasius, John Owen, and J. Gresham Machen. So in that book, we will see how these individuals defended truth and, and treasured Christ and perhaps how they encouraged the church Christians to defend the truth and treasure Christ. So we've seen these things in the lives of these three individuals. So looking forward to that, and I hope that you are as well.